we're looking at this series, What Would Jesus Undo? And the first thing we're going to look at is my mess. So I went to Google, because that's the first place preachers always start these days. I'm joking, it was the Bible. Now I went to Google and uh, it said, what does my mess say about me? That's what I put in. Apparently, if you have a messy bed, you have a tough time with love. If you have a messy desk, you are creative because it's organised mess. Anyone say amen to that? Yep. That's the messy ones of us that just want to say that. If you have a messy wardrobe, anyone got a messy wardrobe? Apparently, the back there, apparently you are nostalgic. You cling to the past. You're a bit of a hoarder. Messy appearance. I won't ask anyone who's got a messy appearance because it's very subjective. It means you don't care what people think. And you've probably got a fiery personality. What a load of utter rubbish. I've just read to you this morning, ladies and gentlemen. But what does your mess say about you? What does your mess say about you? What is your mess about you? Now, there is the mess you are aware of. We're all aware of certain mess in our life. There is also the mess you have made yourself. That was nobody else's fault other than you. And you know that thing when like teenagers do stuff and you say to them, parents, what were you thinking? And the answer is, they weren't. And we've all done that, haven't we? We've all done messes that we made ourselves and we weren't thinking. Then there's the mess of your life that others have made for you, that others have dumped their mess onto you. Then there's mess that's just the mess of living life. We're, as a church, we're in a learning community with a whole load of other churches. And so every six months, some of us as staff go to this learning community and we learn and grow together and it's brilliant. And, and one of the sessions last year, we, we had to put up on a piece of flip chart paper all the good things that were happening in the church and then under the line, all the difficult things. And we wrote all these difficult things under the line. And then one of the mentor coaches, guys, from a massive church in America, brilliant guy, has been coaching us through this process. He come along and he looked at all that stuff and he said... You know all that stuff under the line? You know none of that's going away, ever, don't you? Went, what do you mean? He says, that stuff is people. And that is the ministry. And people are messy. You're going to have that forever. And off he went. I went, thank you very much for that. That was really encouraging. But he was absolutely right. Because mess comes with life because life is messy. Some of the mess in our life is the mess of life. But then there's the mess in our lives that we're not aware of. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about this morning. And I want to get right into it by saying Jesus came into the world to undo our mess, but not in the way we kind of think. See, many people's problem with Christianity is around misunderstanding of who God is and who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. And I think sometimes even as Jesus followers, we misunderstand as well. And we grow up our whole Christian lives, sometimes for years and years and years, with the wrong understanding of who God is. God is not looking for perfection. He had that in His Son. He don't need it in you. God is not looking for us to be the ultimate compliance machines that adhere to all the rules. He's not looking for that. Jesus is not looking for people that don't have any mess. He's looking for people who can give their mess to him. You see, here is my big thought for us today. Jesus can undo any mess apart from one. The one you don't hand over. That's the only one he won't undo. The one you don't hand over. And to look at this a little bit, I thought I'd go a little bit cultural out there. And I came across a, a programme on TV that I would not recommend any of you ever watch, okay? I flicked onto it, watched it for a little bit and didn't watch it again, promise, okay? It's called Tattoo Fixers. 
I'm not even going to go there with who's watched it. It is horrendous because basically it's these people that have been away. Often they were drunk, stag do's, that kind of thing. And they had a tattoo on them that they really regret. They woke up in the morning. What on earth have I done? And they go to the tattoo fixer and the tattoo fixer transforms that grotesque and makes it into something that I think still looks awful. But there you go. But they think it looks beautiful. He, they took the mess that was on there, that marked them, and they transformed it into something else. And I couldn't resist just Googling a little bit on some funny tattoos, not what you get on tattoo fixers. And I really like this one here uh, with the bald head, whether you can see it, you need to stick it up. Lovely. And that one, whatever that guy with the Teenage Mutant thing was doing on his nose, I've got no clue. But then this one is probably my favourite. Hello, is it me you're looking for? Wally, see where we go in there. And then the little Wally behind the ear. Brilliant. That's not what you see on tattoo fixers, all right? It's like X-rated on tattoo fixers. And then last week, Kathy, who was here, did such a great job. And the lots of the phrases and things that she talked about, I wanted to talk about as well. Because she talked about, actually, God takes our mess and turns it into a message, which he really does. And then she talked about kintsugi art, which is this pottery that's coming up now, which is Japanese art, also known as kintsukurai, which means golden repair. It's the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery with lacquer, dusted or mixed with powdered gold, silver or platinum. As a philosophy, it treats breakage and repair, listen to this, as part of the history of the object rather than something to disguise. So in other words, it looks at brokenness as part of the history and the story of the art. So we're not going to hide the brokenness. We're going to actually present it. And so the mess becomes a message. The story becomes part of a bigger story and, and it's even more valuable after it's broken than it was before. That's the kind of stuff that we're getting at. That's the kind of stuff that Jesus can do with our mess. You know, we've got some really creative people in this church. Some of the guys that you're going to see at Christmas on the stage, singing and dancing, also do other creative stuff as well. So one of our guys, Russ, who was here at the 9.30 service, many of you know Russ plays bass guitar, sings amazingly. He also does a little bit of art as well. And what was really fascinating about when he told me about this piece of art that he'd done recently, okay, was the kind of technique behind it all. And I'm going to read you what he said about it. Russ said this, If I'm not happy with a painting, I let it completely dry, then I use it as a base for a new work, working over the previous painting. My main technique is to apply paint with a scraper and let the layers underneath show through. The end result is something I think that's more beautiful and surprising than if I'd have started again using a blank canvas. It's great, isn't it? So underneath there is an old painting and Russ has done some stuff over it and it's kind of showing through. I think that's Absolutely fascinating. And then one of our other guys who you're going to see in the Christmas show, he's going to do some art which we've never done before, a different kind of art that we've never used before. But he also is a bit of an artist, Mark Welsh, and he did this. And what's really interesting about this is that Mark said that I started out with lines and shapes. And I just kept doing lines and shapes. And as I kept doing lines and shapes, it just became more and more of a mess until eventually all I could see through the lines and shapes was the face of Jesus, which then came out. Out of the lines and shapes and the mess of your life, Jesus wants to shine through. Jesus wants to turn your, your mess and my mess into a message, but he can only do that with the mess that we give him. 
He can't do it with any mess that we hold on for ourselves. So we're going to go to the Bible. And if you've got um, a Bible, Luke chapter 7, it's going to come on the screens. And this is a story um, from the life of Jesus. And it's, it's in the book of Luke. Now, Luke was a doctor. Luke was a historian. And I think Luke was also a bit of an artist as well. Because he paints pictures of scenes in such vivid, descriptive way, creative, as well as being you know, a, a, a historian, very logical, and a doctor, I think he had this kind of artistic thing going on as well. So we're going to read through the story, and I'll make a few comments as we go. So when one of the Pharisees, now Pharisees are religious people who know a lot of stuff, okay? They're the kind of guys that don't think they've got any mess at all, as we'll see. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, Pharisees were very important and quite rich. And in this part of the world, in rich, important people's houses, they would often had a courtyard with like a fountain, and often they would eat outside because of the weather, great weather. Not like around here. Great weather. And so they'd go out and the table would, would be a low table with low seating and you'd, you'd, you'd sit at the table but your legs would come away from it. So you wouldn't sit on a high seat like you're sat on. You'd be quite low down and you'd recline at the table. And the idea was that when you were having a meal, there'd be somebody there at the meal who was invited to as a wise person that everybody wanted to hear about. You see, Pharisees thought that the, the, the deeper you are was the more information you had. Okay, the more stuff you knew, the deeper you were, then, then, then that you were a much wiser person. And they invited Jesus as one of these new kids on the block, these new rabbis to try and test him and see whether he really was wise. And so they're reclining at the table. And then a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. And the Bible goes on to talk in such a way that it's implicit that by that he's talking about a sexual sinful life. Uh, when she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. I'll refer to that in a minute. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Can I just say, this is shocking to everyone else in the room. Because, because she, she lived a civil life, which implies she was a prostitute. And she lets her hair down, which is a sign of seduction in this culture. So she's letting her hair down. She's breaking open the jar of perfume and pouring it over him. She's weeping over him. This show of emotion to this supposedly wise man. This is shocking to everyone else in the room. When the Pharisee who would invite him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a mess. She's a mess. That's what he's saying. She's a sinner. She's broken. She's a mess. Why on earth would Jesus want to have anything to do with this woman who's a mess? Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, he knew the answer. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. He kind of knew the answer, but he said, well, I suppose. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. 
You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little actually loves little. Now, we need to understand a bit of context to understand what Jesus is saying here. In, these kind of, in this culture, in this kind of house, three things always happened. Okay, When guests came, three things always happened. You were greeted with a kiss called the kiss of peace. There would have been some kind of uh, washing of feet because they were having sandals and it was dirty and dirty roads and all that. And there'd be some kind of incense, which, is a, which was a sign of kind of uh, respect and honour, some kind of pouring of perfume or incense over you. So, so what she's doing is perfectly within the custom. But the point is, it should have been Simon, not her. And he says, hey, hey Simon, you should have given me the kiss of peace as that greeting in that culture, not her. Now, here's the interesting thing is, as many of you know, some parts of the world, the kiss of peace is still a greeting, a culture. In fact, when I first went to Bulgaria, I know there may be some Bulgarians in the house, so this is, you know how much I love your country. But when I first went as a 20-year-old, 25, 24, 5-year-old, my second visit, I think I was 25, 26, um, I was speaking at a um, uh, village church and I was told by my interpreter, my translator at the time, who was a friend, isn't a friend after this incident that he let me endure. Um, um, he, he basically said, you may get greeted at the door with some handshakes and you may get some kisses and from some of the men in this village community. I said, that's fine. It's like European, it's French, it's Italian, little on the cheek, it's, it's no big deal. I'm standing at the door as a 25, 26 year old, shaking the hands of these people. This huge guy from the village comes towards me. He's seven foot tall. He's got to be, okay? He's huge. And uh, he's got like one tooth in his head. Uh, he smells a little bit. He's got bristles on him. And he's coming to, and he grabs my hand and he's shake, shaking the life out of my hand. And then he's coming in and his lips are puckered. And I'm like, okay, this is the kiss of peace. This is the greeting. That's fine. I give him my cheek. He didn't want my cheek. I give him my other cheek. He didn't want my cheek. Full on the lips. Full on the lips and he's kissing me and I'm trying to say Slava Naboga, which is glory to God in Bulgarian, but I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling glory to God. I'm looking at my translator. He is cracked up laughing and I'm like, okay, I hate you. This is the kiss of peace. This is normal. This is the greeting she gave him, but Simon didn't. And then when she took her alabaster jar, that's interesting. Some of you will know this. The alabaster jar is a sealed jar. And through her life, as she gets money, and you know how she gets money, she gets it and she sells it for, for, for expensive perfume and she puts it in the jar because that's her inheritance, that's her future, that's her security. There are no banks. That's everything. And she hasn't got a spray thing on the top of the jar like we have with our aftershaving perfume. If she's going to break it, she's got to break the whole thing. If she's going to use it, she's got to use the whole thing. And she breaks it because when she sees Jesus, she sees someone who can undo the mess of her broken life. And so she kisses him and she pours perfume out and she drops her hair down and she, she, all of this emotion is pouring out. And this is an incredible, incredible story. But there are two people in this story who are both in a mess. And Jesus wanted to undo the mess in both. One knew it, the other didn't. One wanted it, the other didn't. One received it, the other didn't. And so I want to talk just for a moment about the woman. And what I say about the woman is this, what's broken can be fixed. What's broken can be fixed. And I've got a, a ball of string here. Uh, and this is straight from the shop, so it's all perfect. And if I was to open it up, it would all come out into one thing. How many of you know it's great for a moment, 
And then once you start, it gets messed up. And most of our lives don't feel like that. They feel like a messed up ball of string, don't they? And I don't know about you, but when I get stuff like that, like laces or things, I get more and more uptight. Anyone like that? And in the end, Alison just says, give it to me. And so I hand it over to her and she's calmer than I am. So she does it. Here's the thing. Whatever the mess is that you've got, Jesus can undo it, but he can't undo one mess. The mess you don't give to him. But you see, what's broken can be fixed when we put it into the hands of Jesus. And what happens is that this woman's, her mess and her brokenness gets fixed when she hands it to Jesus. She doesn't care about the etiquette. She doesn't care about the dignity. She's already lost that. She sees Jesus as the one who can restore what's been broken. Jesus is the one who can fix the mess that's in her. You see, the problem is it's her her, her need inside of her life, which is driving her to do the things that cause the mess. So if only we could have our needs fulfilled by him, then maybe we wouldn't be so driven to the kind of things that cause the mess in the first place. And he fixes her mess. Her brokenness is fixed. And he does it by taking away shame. And I don't know how many of you know this, but shame is one of the heaviest things we can ever carry in our lives. You see, shame tells us people will never love us, especially if they really knew us. And it's possible to be in church, isn't it? And to look around and think, do you know what? If anybody else in this church really knew who I was, really knew what was going on, really knew what I'd done, they wouldn't want to sit anywhere near me. And we think like that about Jesus, and that's called shame. And here's the thing, Jesus is like, hey, I know anyway. And my arms are outstretched, and my eye is looking at you. And if only you could bring your mess to me, if only you could hand this to me, I could do amazing things with it. And I could take away the shame. And that's what he did for this woman. You see, can you imagine being set free from shame guy called Wayne Jacobson, who's an author, he said this, shame-free people champion reality over image, sincerity over pretentiousness, and honesty over deceit. And I love that. And, he, and Jesus fixes that mess by the way he accepts her, by the way he validates her, by the way he honours her, and by the way he empowers her by offering her forgiveness. Jesus is the ultimate tattoo fixer. He's the ultimate Kintsugi art specialist. He's the ultimate artist who turns a mess into a message. And there's a great verse from Ephesians chapter 2. And I'll read it to you from the Amplified Version of the Bible, which just opens up some of the words. It says this, For we are his workmanship, his own masterwork, a work of art. (laughs) He created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us, Beforehand, taking paths which he set so that we would walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us. Ladies and gentlemen, you are a work of art this morning. Did you know that? You are sitting next to a work of art. Just look at that work of art for a moment. Isn't that amazing? And the art that we are isn't perfect. It isn't perfect. It isn't a clean canvas. It's got other stories behind it. It's lines and shapes and something coming through it. It's art and it's pottery that was broken that's been restored. And the brokenness is part of the story. It's part of the value of who it is. And I love this. Jesus can undo any mess apart from one. 
to one that you don't hand over. But then just for a few minutes, I want to talk about the man. Because you see, for him, I would say this, what's fixed sometimes needs to be broken. So what's broken can be fixed, but what's fixed sometimes needs to be broken. You see, this man, Simon, was also in a mess, but he didn't know it. He was religious. He had knowledge. He had, but he had no awareness of his need. He had no awareness of grace. Jesus said, you, if you've only been forgiven little, you're only going to love a little. You have no idea of what I've done for you. And you're in a mess, but you don't know it. You see, when we don't know it, things get fixed. And I want to just talk about a few things that can get fixed. And I want to challenge those of you that are Jesus followers this morning, okay? Those of you that are Christians, these things can happen to you and to me. Number one, our thinking can get fixed. Our thinking can get fixed. And when our thinking gets fixed, we get in a mess. Because all of a sudden, we think we've got it all sewn up and all of a sudden, God goes out and God becomes a little bit of a distant memory, someone we once knew, someone we talk about and sing about, but isn't really walking life with us because our thinking has got fixed. And I want to say to you, we've got to open up our thinking. We've got to let Jesus break open our thinking so that he can do a new thing in us. I love this story about a guy called Cliff Young. Cliff Young was an Australian sheep farmer. And he was 61 years of age when Cliff Young entered into a race, which is probably the most difficult race on the planet. It's a road race between Sydney and Melbourne. It's 544 miles long. Okay, And Cliff Young, at the age of 61, enters the race. Now, it's a famous race. It's still going on, to my knowledge. You can Google it and see it all on there. And the thing is, Cliff Young showed up not in all of the gear that all the other runners were, were running in, the Adidas, the Nike, all that kind of stuff. He showed up in what he was showed up in for the, on the sheep farm. So he had boots and galoshes and overalls and all that. He showed up and they all laughed at him. But Cliff Young didn't know what all the other runners knew. Cliff Young didn't know that to run this kind of race, you run really hard in the day and then you sleep six hours. You run the next day, you sleep six hours. You run the next day, you sleep six hours. Cliff Young didn't know that. So Cliff didn't run particularly fast. He just jogged all through the day, all through the night, kept jogging and he won the race by 10 hours. By 10 hours. And the story goes that he was so shocked himself at the race, he didn't even know there was a $10,000 prize at the end of the race. So when they gave him the money, he just handed it out to all the other runners. Brilliant. What a fantastic story. Because his thinking wasn't fixed. And I wonder how many of us get our thinking fixed. See, this is what happens to churches so, so often and it breaks my heart. And so we say things like, well, we've never done it like this before. Or it's not like the old songs. Or it's not like this. And I say that and we all say, but when you do that, you're in danger of getting your thinking fixed. And when your thinking is fixed, Jesus says, hey, I want to do a new thing, but I can't do a new thing because you won't let go of the old thing. And you're in a mess. But you just don't know it because your thinking has got fixed. Secondly, our ways of relating to God can get fixed. When I was, um, I was brought up in a Christian home um, and I came into an experience of the Holy Spirit and of spiritual dynamic in that way in my late teens, early 20s. I hadn't had that experience before as a kid growing up. And I remember as a late teen, early 20s, my way of relating to God was so fixed. 
You know, and, and in the church that I was in, we didn't, nobody used to raise their hands in the air. I thought it was a bit weird. And, and I remember coming into this hungry for God phase and me and some of our young people from the church I was in, we went to spring harvest and different festivals and things like that. And I look around at all my friends who, who would be like that in normal church, but they'd be like that because there's loads of other people there. And I stood there in judgment on them. And said, you won't do that back home, but you'll do it here. It's just because there's the noise and there's the big band and there's all this. And my way of relating to God had got fixed. And I needed God to break that in me because he wanted to do something new and fresh in me. And all the time we stay fixed, we stay in a mess. Our way of relating to God, our ways of behaving can get fixed. Our ways of living our, our faith can get fixed. You know, the only difference between a rut and a grave is the depth, right? So I want to say to you guys, don't let's get fixed. We don't want to get fixed, do we? We don't want to get fixed so that, so, so that, so that God can't do anything new because God's always looking to do something new and he wants us to stay open. And Simon had got himself fixed and he was in a mess, but he didn't know it. This woman was broken. She was in a mess and she knew it. She handed her mess to Jesus and Jesus undid her mess. He went away and as far as we know, he carried his mess with him. I don't want to be like him. I want to be like her. As we wrap up, Jesus came to undo our mess. How, how, how ultimately did, did he do it? Number one, he, next one, he did it. He did it when he took my mess on the cross. We're going to celebrate that in a moment. The Bible says it this way. How, you ask, in Christ that's how he did it. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right with God. And I think this woman knew that. She knew that somehow this man, Jesus, was going to take all of her mess that separated her from God and on all of that stuff and all of that embarrassment. Jesus was going to take that on himself. And so she said, hey, Jesus, would you do that? And she gave it to him. And he did it by taking it on himself on the cross. But not only as he did it, he's also doing it. He's doing it. Um, because the next bit, the next one, because Jesus said, follow me and I will make you who I want you to be. And you see, religion says you change and you sort the mess out and then you follow Jesus. That's religion. But Jesus said, no, 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 you don't do that. You follow me and then we'll sort the mess out as we go. How many of you know we're not there yet? Anyone there yet? Anyone got all their mess sorted? If you have, this is not the right church for you. It really isn't. Because we're on a journey here. We're in a process He's doing it as we follow him. And you know, many, many Christians, when they mess up, say, oh, I've messed up, therefore I'm out. Please don't do that. When you mess up and you will, you are not out. It's what you do with your mess that will keep you in. In means, hey, Jesus, I've messed up, but here's my mess again. And I don't know about you, but I'm finding it's a daily deal, aren't you, of handing my mess to him, saying, Jesus, I've messed up again. Me and Alison went Christmas shopping uh, this week. We do it every year. It's our, now our annual tradition. We go two or three days. It's the only time we get. We don't have any time the rest of our lives to do it. But we go away Christmas shopping. It has stopped us breaking up. Okay? Because when we used to try and do Christmas shopping before, it was a nightmare. Having said that, this time, and I didn't say this at the first service, and I haven't asked Alison's permission, but it's, it's my shame, so I'll say it. So while we were away, I lost my head over something, and we fell out a bit. And I'm like, I can't believe this. We've been married nearly 30 years. We used to do this when we were in our 20s. What is wrong with me? What's wrong with me is that I'm a mess like everyone else and I need to keep giving my mess to the one who can undo it. And I don't know about you, but when you mess up, don't forget Jesus is doing it. All he wants from you is to follow him. So let's make today, the next day, 
and we say, okay, today I'm going to walk with him again. Amen. I'm just going to hand my mess over to him. He's done it on the cross. He's doing it. And here's the incredible news. He will complete it. He will complete it. One of my favourite verses. Here we go. Philippians 1.6. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And we then will no longer be a mess. Wouldn't that be great? So I want to invite the band to come back. Jesus can undo any mess apart from one. The one you don't hand over to him. And in a moment, I'm going to invite you to hand over some mess to God this morning. And can I just say, if some of you in this room, some of you are watching this today or you're listening on podcast, you may have a mess in your life right now, which is really dark. And you think, I don't think anybody else knows about this. That's the one that can kill you spiritually. That's the one that can take you out. And I had an experience just a couple of weeks ago, which kind of shook me at the time. And some of you will think nothing of this, but I had an email came through. I woke up one morning, I was at at that conference, learning community conference, and I woke up, had an email. And the email said, I know your password begins with this. And it said my password, the beginning of my password. And then there's a whole long email and it said, I've been tracking you for many months as you've been going on those really naughty, and it said some other words, porn sites. And I've set up a webcam and I've been filming what you've been watching and filming you watching it. And I'm going to send it to all of the contacts in your address book. If you don't give me X amount of pounds by X amount of day. Now I looked at it and I knew instantly it was just spam because I haven't done it. Honestly. And when I came home, but it got into me a little bit and I thought, but that is a little bit of my password. Do you know what I mean? And, what, and when I came home, I showed it Alison straight away. And said to her, and I haven't done it, honestly. But you know what? I had a thought. What about if I had? Because for a brief moment, even though I haven't done that, what about if I had? What about if that was sent out to some of you? For a moment, I thought, dear God, somebody could feel like I'm feeling just in this moment and I haven't even done it. What about if I had? So it might be today, that some of you are in a situation where there is some dark, hidden mess in your life. Some of you are too close to somebody else in your workplace and you know it. Some of you have already crossed a line and you know it. For some of you, there is some secrecy there. There is some mess. There is some darkness. Some of you, it is around pornography. Can I just say, Jesus knows it anyway. And His arms are still like that. And He can undo any mess apart from one. The one that you don't hand over to Him. So let's just close our eyes for a moment. And maybe there is some of you here in this room, or if you're watching or listening, and you know there's some mess in your life. Or you know that you've allowed yourself to get fixed. And you need to say, God, would you break me a little this morning? Would you break my thinking? Would you break my way of relating to you? Would you break my... Um, my, my behaviour would you break my the way I live out my faith because I'm fixed and I'm in a mess and I don't want to be and if that's you this morning in a moment we're going to take communion together but just before we do that I want you to imagine that that mess or that fixed thing is like that ball of string and you want to just hand it to Jesus right now I want to encourage you to do that so as I pray 
I want to encourage you to lift up your hand if that's you this morning and you know that that's you and there's some mess and you don't want to hold on to it. You, and you're going to be like that woman. You don't care about what other people think because this is about you and him. So if that's you, I want you just to lift your hand and I want to pray for you today. Thank you so much. Bless you guys. Maybe it's just you're just so fixed and you know you're fixed. And you say, I don't want to be fixed. I want to be open to him. Just raise your hand as well. Jesus, thank you so much that you're in the business of taking our mess and turning it into a message. You're in the art business. You're creating works of art, pottery that is beautiful and purposeful. And that's who we are. So Jesus, we just hand it over to you now. And now as we prepare to take communion together and we remember what you've done, what you're doing and what you're going to do. Lord, fill our hearts with gratitude and thanks, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to invite you to stand, guys. Uh, and uh, hosting, guys, if you could come out quickly, please, that would be great. And just pull the tables out. And we've got communion here. We'd love you to come and take communion with us. And um, basically, this is just some bread and some juice. It represents uh, the body and the blood of Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross for us when He took our stuff and our mess, what He's doing in us by His Spirit and what He said He will do. This is about the future as well. And as we do that, the guys are going to teach you a new song this morning, which isn't that new. Some of you will know it, but it's new to us. And it's an invitation to come to Him. It's an invitation to come and to bring the stuff to Him because He's the only one that can undo our mess and turn it into a message. So I'm going to invite you. The guys will start playing. And if you want to come and take communion, the front groups, if you come to this side in the back, if you go to the back, that would be great. And then the guys will begin to lead you in this song. And as you, after you take communion, and when you begin to use this song and you get into it, use this as a way, not just to sing in a song, but of doing what the song says. Come to the altar. Come to the altar. Let's bring our mess to Him. And let's hand it over to Him this morning.